Hi, welcome to episode 102 of the Natural Hat Trick Podcast. Alongside Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Craig, we have recorded this podcast in a variety of locations. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, we have our typical studio. We had the old studio. Uh, certainly, we had the uh, the on remote episode we did at Behind the Mask in Chandler. That was fun. Uh, Vegas from the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino. Yep. Uh, a, an auxiliary locker room at Gila River Arena. <laughs> a dark auxiliary locker room. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There was no lights. There was one light off in the distance. We lit a candle. And uh, and then, since Jamie couldn't do the podcast today and we're having technical issues, they just like stuck us in some closet. Is, is Go ahead and call it. Yeah. We're going to call it the closet podcast. There's a lot of wires in here. Well, yeah, maybe they're trying to tell us something. The door does open again, right? I feel like Milton from Office Space right now, I'll be <laughs> honest. And Jamie took my stapler, too. Jamie's not here. Uh, because of the technical difficulties, we're not going to have the two guests on that we were planning on having today. We we're still going to have them at some point. It's just going to be either later this week or next week. So we won't be previewing Pittsburgh or Montreal today. We will be previewing the Vancouver Canucks, which, based on the location we're in right now, I feel is kind of fitting. Are you all excited about this? Are, are we piquing your interest? Are you still with us? <laughs> oh, you have to stay with us now because literally anything could happen in the next half hour. A so. um, couple news and notes around the NHL before we get into the Vancouver Canucks. This is the one that makes me happiest. Preseason starts September 16th, Vancouver at LA. As we record this, that's about four and a half weeks away. So if you're like me, when the Stanley Cup is over, you start counting down to uh, the start of the next season. That's the start of the preseason right there, which means camps open up about a week to two weeks rookie camp for the Coyotes, and it starts September 7th. So it's getting here. Yeah. So that's about three and a half weeks. And I, the preseason, it's, it's gotten to the point, I was talking to Coyotes coach Rick Tockett about this the other day, how you get basically three days before the preseason starts, and then all your evaluation becomes games. And so it's, it's a little problematic. I'm going to write about this this week, but he was saying, we're thinking about things that we have to sacrifice that we'll have to install later, like special teams. He said, I don't think we're going to spend a lot of time on special teams in those first few days because we got to get our systems in. we got to implement that stuff first. So at some point they'll get to it, but when you're playing all these games and basically your players are trying to recover and you're doing the things that you have to do during the season, it becomes harder and harder. So sometimes I wonder about having this many preseason games. It's That's a great point because... Like the NFL, they get a good week and a half of training camp before that first preseason game, maybe even longer. But with the NHL, it's just you get a couple days and you're in there and, and you're playing. And, and, you know, it's it's different for every team, but there's a lot of teams starting the season with new coaches. The Coyotes are certainly one of them. They're not the only ones, but there's obviously a longer learning curve or steeper learning curve, I should say, for everybody involved when you have a new coach and a new coaching staff. And, and it doesn't matter how new the players are. They're all new to each other. So... It's a meaningful preseason, certainly for the Coyotes and a lot of those other teams that, that have the new pieces to work in. That first game will be Vancouver at L.A., and then those two teams will actually play the two games in Beijing about a week later. With somehow a game scheduled at Anaheim in between. <laughs> so I'm try- it must be a split squad. I, 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 I pray for their sake it is a split squad for the Kings. Yeah, that would be quite the, uh, quite the road trip if you're L.A. and you go from L.A. to Beijing to Orange County to Beijing to L.A. It's like a glimpse into the NHL's future, what road trips look like. Of course, if you ask somebody from L.A., they're going to tell you Orange County is about as far away as Beijing anyway. So that's uh, something to keep an eye on there. Other notes, the – what is it? The 
CCM USA Hockey All American Prospects game. That's that's rolls right off the tongue, right? You, you excited about that? <laughs> hey, it's hockey. You brought it up. That, that'll be September twenty first. Forty two of the top U.S. born prospects for the two thousand eighteen NHL draft will be playing in Buffalo, coached by Chris Chelios and Brian Leach. Here's one that's uh, back to the NHL, maybe a little more local here. Rick Tockett is not a doctor, but he says he's, how would you word this, hopeful that Jacob Chikrin's going to be back this year, says he will. He's kind of, I don't know. I think that's just the power of positive thinking. Rick Tockett is not a doctor, and we have no idea how Jacob Chikrin is going to react to the surgery, to rehab, etc. We don't know. You can't. You can't put a timeline on this right now, and perhaps wisely, that's why the Coyotes said we'll update it again when training camp starts because they're going to have a much better idea at that point. But, you know, to say to say that if this were another player, it could be a whole year, but because it's Jacob Jacob, well, that's, that sounds great. It's nice to say that you have that kind of confidence in your player, but look, uh, most of these guys will do what they need to do in rehab. We'll just have to wait and see if this is something that, in fact, endangers Jacob Chikrin's entire season. Yeah, this is what Rick Tockett said to Sirius XM NHL Network. This was this past Friday, so a couple of days ago. The exact quote was, if this happened to somebody else, you might have a guy who's out for the year. I don't know the time frame, but it's not for the year. It's something that he's going to bounce back from. He's an animal. It's almost like we've got to crank this kid down a little bit. Uh, anybody that's met Jacob Chikrin, I mean, that's all true. He's working he, When yeah. he's not playing hockey, he's working out. Yeah. <laughs> but without knowing the exact details of the injury, I mean, there's some injuries that it doesn't matter how in shape you are. You don't necessarily... Now, he's 19 years old, so he's right. going to recover faster than... But you can't predict how long he's going to at this point. You just can't do it. Yeah. So, anyway, we, you and I were looking at this before the show starts. I don't know your exact stance. I was quietly optimistic that this Coyotes team might be able to sneak into a playoff spot this year. I'm not saying losing Jacob Chikrin just puts an end to that, but it really shakes things up on the blue line. Because part of the reason I was so encouraged was you've got a lot of young talent up front. And when you have that, there's always the risk that some guys don't take a step forward this year, like Anthony Duclair last year. But there's also always the possibility that a guy like Brendan Perlini, who was on pace for 33 goals last year, scores 33 goals this year, you know, or Anthony Duclair bounces back, or Max Domi's healthy all year. So there's a lot of sort of forgotten upside, I think, nationally with the Coyotes. But the defense was encouraging with OEL and Nicholas Jalmerson as a top pairing and Jacob Chikrin with Alex Goligoski probably as a number two pairing. Craig, you wrote something for uh, for FanRag Hockey. Not having Jacob Chikrin back there almost forces the Coyotes to to add somebody. Because right now they only have six NHL defensemen. Yeah, and I talked to General Manager John Chike about this. And again, they're going to wait until they have a better idea of Chikrin's timeline before they decide what they want to do. Because, you know, if you say, well, even if he misses the first two months of the season, you might be able to get by bringing one of your veterans up from the minor league, somebody with, with NHL experience. And I outlined some of those names. There's a, a host of different possibilities that you can look at here. But if he's going to be out longer term, you might want to do something. I, I almost feel like you have to at that point. If it's longer than two months, I don't know that you can get by. You probably have to leave Alex Goligoski on the left side. So you're talking about either Luke Shen or Adam Clendenning as your second-pairing right defenseman. Maybe you're okay there, but it just feels like this this unit is a little thin. And as you noted earlier, there's really no depth at this point. You've got to play Kevin Connaughton. You've got to play Clendenning or Shen on that third pairing. And then who's your seventh defenseman? Yeah, I mean, it was great to get Nicholas Jalmerson. I think everybody agrees the Coyotes 
were pretty opportunistic there and got the better end of that deal, but they did give up Connor Murphy. So if you're sitting there thinking, well, I'll just play Murphy, we don't have him anymore. I mean, you, you lost some defensemen this offseason. And so the way it was setting up, I, I had viewed Clendenning or Connaughton or even Shen as sort of in a three-man rotation for the bottom two spots. So then you got seven guys and you can mix and match based on, you know, whatever team you're playing or injuries or whatever. But you want to have seven defensemen, even though six are going to be active. And right now the Coyotes only have... OEL and Jean Mersin, Goligoski, Shen, Kevin Connaughton, and Adam Clendenning, who I know a lot of people like his metrics, but he hasn't played for the Coyotes yet. Right. So, you, you, yeah, you're right. And you have to find out what you have in him, first of all. So, I mean, maybe that's an opportunity for him to get more meaningful minutes. But again, what do you do for that seventh defenseman? Do you, do you bring a young prospect up who's going to be in and out of the lineup and not getting minutes? Is that good for his development? Or do you think about, you know, one of your more seasoned veterans down there like Andrew Campbell or Joel Hanley. Do you like that option, or do you feel like you do need to go out and get one of the veterans that's on the market? There are a bunch of guys out there. I I know a lot of people have mentioned Cody Fronson's name. It's worth noting that they haven't had any interest in him in the past when he was available, but other guys like Dennis Weidman, Roman Pollock, uh, um, Francois Beauchemin even, if you want a a real veteran who's played at a high level. He's 37 years old right now, but you might be able to get him like on a one-year deal. Just some options to consider, but again, I think we'll wait, John Chike will wait until we get closer to camp to sort of assess what Chikrin's recovery looks like first. Yeah, because I guess you're also assessing what some of the guys that you have that were slated for the minors this year, like how they look in camp, like it, whether it's a vet, like you were talking about, or if Kyle Wood, if you feel like mm-hmm. he's ready to step in. You know, there's different ways you can go with this. If you're bringing Kyle Wood up, he's probably your seventh defenseman. If you go out and sign Francois Beauchemin, or I know you said they haven't had interest in Cody Franson in the past. My thought would be that in the past that was as a you know number four defenseman or whatever. If he's coming in as your six or he's fighting for playing time, maybe it's a little bit different, especially if you can get him cheap. But if you're bringing in a guy like that, you're not bringing him in as your seven. So a couple of different ways the Coyotes can go here. It's obviously very unfortunate to be in this position, but, I mean, there are free agents out there. You and I both agreed before the show, it probably makes the most sense, and you just said this, if Chikrin's out for a while, you got to bring somebody in. It probably makes the most sense to either promote from within or just go out and sign a free agent. I don't think I'm trading for a guy at this point. No, I would want to give up prospects for such a short-term fix and a guy who's probably not part of your future, and that, that would go against everything we've seen from John Chika thus far anyway. Yeah. You're basically, it's a rental and you just don't know how long it is. And look, if, if they go out and get somebody and Chikrin's back in three months, right. well then you've got a little depth at that point. But you don't necessarily need a guy signed for years and years and years because you've got other pieces coming back. Uh, we talked to Mike Russo last week and one of the main talking points as it sort of evolved was the future of Kirill Kaprizov with the Wild. I mean, <laughs> we were talking about this last year when that Martin Hansel deal went down. Can you get a prospect from Minnesota? Well, they've got a few. Kaprasov's right there near the top of the list. Is he even a prospect anymore? He signed for three years in the KHL. I don't know. That's yeah. That's and and he Mike even uh, hinted that that was probably going to be the case when we had him on, and then he goes and signs a three-year deal. So uh, again, that's the, these are the uh, the risks you take when you sign Russian players. I know there's there's a lot more in the league. There was a, a period of time where nobody, everybody was hands off because they were afraid of what would happen. But again, you still have situations. There's still levers that they can hold over you to say, okay, if, if you don't sign me to what I want, I'm, I'm going to go back home, play in front of, you know, play in my own nation, which is a great experience for these guys. And yeah. then you've just lost a top prospect. So it's a, it's a gamble. 
you know, and they, they got him, what, 135th overall in 2015. Yeah. So at that point, it's obviously worth the gamble when you see how good he uh-huh. is. I mean, he's the talent of a guy that probably should have been a first-round pick, really. It is sort of strange if you look over the last – or it's, it's not strange, I mean, I, when you look at the logic, but it's it's interesting. Probably, what, the last six, seven years, I guess really ever since the KHL became a legitimate, like, full-blown league – there are certain teams that are willing to take the risk, like St. Louis or Washington or Dallas, and then there's a lot of teams that just pass on these guys for this very reason. Yeah. Because if you had taken him in the second round, well, it would hurt much more. Yeah, it really sets you back. It's still you have to you have to look at it and say, "Darn it, we, this this is a guy that could really help our team," and, and now we're not going to see him for three years. Even when we had uh, Isabel Christudian on to talk about the Capitals, she mentioned how. Evgeny Kuznetsov essentially got $7.8 million per year because he had an offer for $10 million potentially in the KHL. Leverage. So, yep. you know, a guy from Ontario isn't getting that, that offer necessarily from the KHL. So that's that's the risk you run. And again, at pick 135, that's not that much of a risk, and there's certainly upside. But that's got to be frustrating for Minnesota at this point. Uh, P.K. Subban, <laughs> first Canadian NHLer with a million Twitter followers. This makes me happy. I know this angers a lot of people. There are a lot of P.K. Subban detractors out there, but... I love everything that he does for hockey. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know why anybody it, he he makes hockey fun, cl- yeah, fun and, and closer. Well, funner. I mean, hockey, <laughs> but he, he brings it to the mainstream. I mean, during yeah. the Stanley Cup, I can't tell you how many friends I have that follow sports but not the NHL latched on to PK Subban. So I'm trying to bring up how many followers Paul Bissonnette had because I know that he's he was up there, and he is. Yeah, see, he's over a million too, but he's not a current active NHLer, but. Uh-huh. Uh, those two. All he has to do is sign a one-day contract. <laughs> There's some personalities there. Yeah, no doubt. With Paul Bissonnette and P.K. Subban. So. All right, let's get to a couple topics here we don't really necessarily want to talk about, but we have to. So I'm going to let you run with this one because you know uh, Eddie Olchek. Yeah, diagnosed with colon cancer. Not going to get into many details, but yeah, it's a, it's a long-time friend of mine since I was a kid. We played together from the time we were, well, starting when we were 11 years old. I have many stories I can tell you about Eddie Olchek. Yeah. Breaking bones in my hands with his shot. Um, <laughs> just hoping for the best here. I've stayed in touch with the family. I've talked to his brother, of course, Rick Olchek, is the assistant GM for the Carolina Hurricanes. I know my mother's been talking to his mother because our families are very close. Just, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm just scared. It's it's a terrifying experience that when you have a peer of yours going through this, we're the, we're the same age, we like I said, we grew up together, and I, I just don't know what the future holds for him. I know he's gonna—he's had, a, as has been reported already, he had a tumor removed, but there are going to be more tests to find out what else is going on. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. Just hoping for the best for a good friend and, and a good human being. You know him better than almost anybody I know, um, so obviously you can speak about him better than pretty much anybody I know. But I, I just being around the hockey community, I feel like everybody knows him a little bit, right? I mean, yeah. he's just one of those guys you meet. He definitely is like that. He's like Shane Doan in that sense. He's, he, but you know, Shane's, Shane's more of a, just everybody really respects. Eddie's a big personality. Yeah. He's a lot of fun to be around. And I think everybody who's been around him will tell you that. He's, he's it's not like he's the life of the party. Like he, he tries to be that way. He's just very gregarious. So you enjoy being around the guy. You enjoy talking to him. And he goes out of his way to sort of 
talk to everybody. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he'll come to town and, and he'll be doing the national broadcast or whatever, but he'll make sure he goes down and talks to everybody because that's just sort of the personality uh, from my point of view that he has. I mean, he just seems like a very personable individual and, and he's had a great, he had a great playing career too. And then yeah. a little coaching too. So yeah. If you listen to the uh, Blackhawk broadcast in particular, his, he and Pat Foley yeah. have a lot of fun together. It's, it gets goofy in that booth and that's great. It's, it's fun to have that kind of color yeah. going on during the game. It's far more entertaining to watch a game than, you know, when you just get the straight laced color commentary and analysis. They, they have fun at their job. Yeah. So I hope he gets back there soon. Absolutely. The whole hockey community definitely pulling for Eddie O, and then you can see that on social media uh, over the last week or so. Other sort of depressing news, not really sort of, but it is, Brian Murray uh, passes on. It was just a tough week for, for the NHL in general. So want to at least acknowledge that. Colon cancer as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this one's just a weird story, but the Detroit Red Wings had to – detach themselves from... I don't even know how to describe what's going on anymore. I don't have the words. I just, I'm just i shaking my head, which doesn't People translate. People appropriating their logo for the Charlottesville March. Just They came out with, obviously, a very forceful statement condemning that and saying they will pursue any legal means possible to More go after to these you. people because it's, it's trademarked, obviously, and they don't want it being associated with white supremacist, racist... Yeah, pieces of you know what. Yeah, not not too much to ask. It's one yeah. thing to steal somebody's logo; it's another thing to steal it for a reason like that. So, all right, we're going to move on to our one preview of this episode. Like I said, we might get into uh, to interviews with with what Josh Yowie. Who do we have from Montreal? Mark Antoine Godin. Okay, so so we we are going to do those interviews. Press. I just don't know if they're going to be later this week or early next week or whatnot. We're going to keep doing those. Vancouver was going to be our team this week where we didn't necessarily have an interview, just Craig and I. And I really expected Jamie here for this one. So, it's like this is a depressing issue, isn't it? We're in a closet. We've just talked about Brian Murray's death and Eddie Olchek's diagnosis and the Detroit Red Wings logo being used, and now we have to transition into the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, so... <laughs> what? We're sorry. This We're very is sorry. just the way it worked out. So Vancouver... I guess my main question with the Canucks is what are they doing? Which I believe was the main question for them last year at this time. <laughs> Hasn't changed. They uh, they went out and they last year went out and brought in Louis Erickson, and he was what he's getting six million a year. Is that right? His his career has been pretty effective, but his first year with Vancouver was about what you would expect in the sense that he really had no points. So he had twenty four. 11 goals, 13 assists for 24 points. I didn't even expect that bad of production from him, but just when they went out and they signed him to what at the time was a six-year, $36 million deal, my thought was just, okay, well, now you've, you're in a position where you need to rebuild, clearly. Vancouver a year ago needed to rebuild. They, they didn't do anything to rebuild. And when you just look at who signed the longest, this is Louis Erickson's team because he signed through 2022. <laughs> yeah, and it, yeah. I spoke to Jim Benning last year, the general manager for the Canucks, and he talked and he said this to many people about the desire to rebuild on the fly. They don't want to become completely irrelevant, drop to the bottom of the standings, but I mean, they did anyway. They dropped to the bottom of the standings. Yeah. It's, it's almost like this delays it. It, it might lengthen that time where they're, they're terrible by do, making moves like this, nonsensical moves. Louis Erickson's a guy that you bring in if you're missing a piece, right? Yeah. But you don't do it in this situation. You accept that 
the Sedins are about to be gone, and this is going to happen in earnest. But now you've got, like you said, this is Louis Erickson's team. When the Sedins are UFAs after this season, he'll still have four years left on his deal. What are you doing with that? What, what was the point of that? Is that even a tradable contract at that point? Well, that's the issue, right? I mean, you bring a guy like that in, and I, I don't know. I don't know what your expectations were for him last year, but I would have figured he probably gets 50, 55 points. That's fine. He's a very good player, but those 55 points would have meant nothing to Vancouver anyway. But now he gets 24 points. He's not playing with the same talent around him that he has throughout his entire career in Dallas and Boston, so he becomes that much less valuable on the open market, except he's not even on the open market. You've got him signed for five more years and $30 million. So now you really can't trade him. I mean, if you're going to go out and sign a guy, sign a guy for a couple years and trade him at the trade deadline and get some prospects. That's what Vancouver needs to be doing. Now, look, in their defense, as you said, they, they dropped right to the bottom of the standings last year anyway, and then still didn't get the pick until pick number five. So they were in that group with Colorado uh, and Vegas and the Coyotes who deserve to pick higher than they did, but that's what happens when you have New Jersey and Philadelphia and Dallas jump everybody. But I mean, Vancouver added what Elias Pedersen, they have only you 11 now in their system. I mean, they've got, they're starting to stockpile some pieces, but it's not a playoff team. I can't help wondering, and there's been some intimation about this in the Vancouver papers, whether Jim Benning is simply under pressure from ownership to do what he's doing, to not bottom out, to, to not just go into full tank mode, which as we mentioned with, when you look at the standings, they're there anyway. Yeah. So it, it, you, you never know those things for certain. Nobody's going to come out. Jim Benning's sure, sure not going to come out and say it or he'll lose his job, but it sure feels that way, doesn't it? It sure feels like he's under pressure to try and keep this team competitive, at least while the Sedins are around, and it's illogical. Well, they finished with 69 points last year, the second-worst record, second only to a Colorado team. I, I feel like they just didn't play 30 of their games, the Avalanche. I, don't, I can't wait till we get to preview them. But So you still finish with the second-worst record. You end up picking fifth. It's not – I hate tanking. I hate it. So it's not like I'm, I'm saying they need to bottom out in that regard. It's just you don't need to be going out and signing guys like Louis Erickson to massive deals, which, you know, to your point, you do that when you are – Pick a team that, that that's a winger away from maybe like if if Calgary could afford him right, right now maybe right. you know that makes sense for for them but it doesn't make sense and it never did for Vancouver so no, and nobody's going to take him off their hands at the trade deadline this year when he still has four more years coming it's just it's crazy and then I mean you look at the other issues with these you mentioned some of those prospects and I I asked this question what excites you on this roster other than Bo Horvat I mean maybe some of those prospects you mentioned will come along but right now when I'm looking at the NHL roster. I, I don't. I don't see the hope. I feel like there's a, one or two teams every year that, when you look at their roster, like this was New Jersey last year. I remember doing the preview of them, and it was just such an eye opener to look at their defense and not see enough NHL defensemen to fill out a roster. And not not like we were just talking with the Coyotes, where they have three potentially really good defensemen and they need to add a seventh. When we looked at New Jersey last year, they only had like four guys under contract, and they were all basically former fifth and sixth line or sixth pairing def- right. sixth defenseman not sixth pairing some of them might have been <laughs> Vancouver you kind of get that feeling looking at their actual lineup like Bo Horvat's exciting he's currently unsigned he's a restricted free agent Sven Berchi looked decent he kind of looked like the guy Calgary maybe hoped he was when they drafted him anything else <laughs> no that's my point they went out and they signed Sam Gagne 
who I don't think will be as effective in I Vancouver. I don't think he will either. I think Sam Gagne is going to go back to being the guy we saw before he was with Columbus. Just I don't see it. I don't see much on this. They have, they need a lot of pieces. Yeah. So why are you delaying it? What 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 is the good of delaying it? And what's going to happen to the Sedins after this year? Are they going to re-sign? Are they going to want them on another one-year deal? This this is a really difficult decision for them. I talked to both of them last year, wrote a story for FanRide. Both of them said, we're not going to play for another team. And they're leaning toward not playing. They don't think they want to play back home either in Sweden. So it's either Vancouver or they don't play anywhere. So when you come time, they become unrestricted for agents after this season. Do you say, nah, you know, it doesn't make any sense for our future. Do you do what the Coyotes did with Shane Doan? Can you walk away from players that are probably too old to have an impact on your roster anymore? But it meant so much to the organization. When you talked to both of them, did they both answer at the exact same time? Were they standing on either side of you like what a was creepy is how similar their responses were. Like the words that they chose. Yeah. It's like, okay, so there's something to this <laughs> mind meld that you guys have got going. Well, they were, uh, they were, they're each set up to make $7 million this season. So you've got, it's such a unique situation because if you bring, like, you're not going to say, well, we can afford to bring one of you back. So you guys pick which one we bring back and the other one has to retire, right? Or I guess maybe they could just rotate in and out of the lineup and nobody would ever really know if they wanted to go all in and, and play the identical twin card. But you, if, if they don't want to be traded, then you can't get anything for them at the deadline. It would be tough to trade them anyway at the deadline because right. you got to trade them both. Right. It's, it's a tough situation. We've talked about that in the past. Yeah, it's an impossible trade situation. And they want to play together, and it, well, they won't play anywhere else. We're not going anywhere. So that's else. even more impossible. So just so everybody knows, no, we're not coming to your team. They're both thirty-six right now. I mean, yeah, it'll be thirty-seven after this season. So is that it? It's not inconceivable. I, kn- I know that they they're not open to be traded, but if they were, they could help a contender. Sure, but they're not helping Vancouver. There's there's nothing either one of them could do, or both of them. I mean, they could. Let's be honest here. They could go back to their prime of four or five years ago, and just go off. It's still not going to help Vancouver. It's only two players on a roster. and That's a difficult decision, and that's going to be a real tough one for them to handle because if they do bring them both back for another year, you're sort of delaying things again, aren't you? Yes, you are, that, and that's my point. So I, It makes no sense. to. It, from a hockey standpoint, it makes no sense to re-sign these guys, but it made no sense to Erickson and either a lot of things that Vancouver's doing make no sense. How about Travis Green? You you posed the question. Well, I wrote that story on which coach is best set up for success of the new coaches. Yes, I just remember you sent a text to me and Jamie, and you were like, "I don't think you listed your your guys yet." You asked us if there was anybody, right? And I just remember, yes, yeah, it's, it's early August. I'm always thinking hockey, but early August, I wasn't, I didn't have off the tip of my head who Vancouver's coach was. So my response to you was just. Whoever Vancouver's coach is, is, is on the hot seat. So, I mean, it wasn't actually which is best set up for success. I analyzed each of the new coaches to see who yeah. had the best situation. But I also wrote a column, which coaches are on the hot seat. That was the one I wrote. And Travis Green was on that list, yes. even though he hasn't coached a game yet, because I believe he is set up for failure in Vancouver. And he's cheap. So he's a guy you can cut bay with, and, you know, you can scapegoat him. When things don't go well. That's a real tough spot for a young coach. Really young guy to, to, to be an NHL coach. So you've got to take the job. Yeah. But it, you are sort of set up for failure. And on the one hand, you look at it if you're Travis Green and you're like, well, look, if this if this fails, I'm getting experience. Look how young I am compared to most coaches 
I got to take it. But if you do so poorly mm-hmm. that you don't ever get another head coaching job from this, that's Jared Bednar. No, he's actually still the head coach. I know, still the coach, but I mean, another guy on the hot seat and with with what Colorado's done. I mean, people would be looking at him like, how do you sell that to the fan base? Here's the guy that coached Colorado to a historically bad season. We think he's the answer for us. I tell you what, though, if Travis Green had the exact same year this year that Jared Bednar had with Colorado last year, and then I was I owned a team and had to pick one of them as my coach, I would still take Travis Green because he doesn't have anything to work with. Whereas Jared Bednar. Sh- on, on paper, has pieces to work with. I know Matthew Shane gets burnt out after 20 games, but those first 20 games should be really good. So That's a tough spot. Can I point out, by the way, because we're bashing Vancouver. I love Vancouver. It's my favorite North American city. It favorite really North is. American city? Literally my favorite city in all of North America. I just think it's a shame that there's no NHL team there. Just to visit. Yeah. <laughs> just, there's no NHL team there. Yeah, they really should get an NHL team. Yeah, uh, I've been to Vancouver, and I, and I, I, I do like it. it is, it's very beautiful. Um, sort of reminded me of Seattle. I lived in Seattle at the time when I went there, like sort of the Seattle of Canada. I don't know what's my favorite. I really like Boston. I really yeah, like San Diego. It's okay if you have your own favorite. Okay, good. All right. San Diego doesn't have an NHL team either. San Diego's uh, high on my list too. Uh, this is a question that Craig wrote out, and I just want to read it the way you wrote out because it sounds like the plot line for Goodfellas too. Is Jim Benning just an unwinning puppet of owner Francesco Aquilini? Yeah, we mentioned this earlier. Is he just doing his owner's bidding? Is that is that what's going on here? I, again, they, there have been reports that that is the case, that he's under pressure, so he has to just tow this company line. We can rebuild on the fly rather than tanking, which isn't happening. <laughs> it's not working, and it's not going to work. And I don't. But what do you What do you do if you're a GM in that situation? It's a terrible situation to be in. How many? If that's the case, did, I mean, this this is sort of similar to when. Jay Feaster was the GM in Calgary, and they were they, they couldn't they couldn't pull the trigger on trading Jerome McGinley and really starting that rebuild. And they finally did it, and and now look, I mean, it's worked out. Anybody who's worked with Jerry Jones or Al yeah. Davis for a while, or, <laughs> you can name all kinds of examples of this, right? Well, how often? How many examples can you point to of when it's actually worked? Of we're gonna we're gonna stay where we are. We're never gonna bottom out. We're gonna rebuild on the fly. Because I can think of one. In all of sports, and that's the Patriots. Mm. I, I guess you could make the case Detroit did it for a while, the Red Wings, not the Lions, uh, the Red Wings. But they were slowly bottoming out. It just took them years and years, and they found ways to keep getting into the playoffs. Right. Well, now you have to have the playoffs. Obviously, you have to have core pieces in place that are that are constants through that period, like a Tom Brady or Pavel Datsuk and Henrik Zetterberg. Those 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 kinds of pieces help. Well, let's look at this roster. Who's the Tom Brady of Vancouver's <laughs> roster? Right. I mean, it was the Sedins, but they're just not those players. And now it's just Brendan Gauntz. Uh, how do you feel about Alex Burmistrov? I just never saw quite enough from him. I mean, saw little flashes, but never consistency. I just, for, for the role that he has to play in this league, playing with skill, I just don't see it happening. I think this is a... I don't want to pile on Vancouver, but this is not a great landing spot for him. No. Because, you know, he was here in Arizona uh, the the last half of last year, and like you said, he had the unfortunate injury. We didn't get to see him play enough. When he did play, he he did show flashes, mm-hmm. and there there was there was some upside there. And, and I just wonder if he had ended up on a good NHL team and he's just a third-line forward, 
maybe he could contribute a little bit, but this is obviously not that situation for him. No. Surround him with some talent, maybe he can chip in. There's not a whole lot of talent on Vancouver. Do we have anything we can talk about before we wrap up so we don't go out and wrap up the podcast talking about the Canucks? Um, this coffee's really good. It is delicious. The coffee alone was worth the drive in today. This, uh, this is a new experience in this room, too. There's like a few bricks over there. Is that just wallpaper? What is that? It, it isn't even real yet. In fact, I can move it. Look. Oh, wow. Look just, at you. It just pulls away from the, the wall. I feel like we so should take that. Faux brick. We should get... We sh- you know what we should do, Craig? We should each take one item out of this room. There are lots of fan rag shirts. We could just go sell these. Yeah. That's true. We should auction off a fan rag shirt for anybody that's listening. Can we give one of these away to a listener if they tweet into the, the podcast? <laughs> if, you, if you actually stayed all the way to this point, we'll, we'll steal a fan rag shirt for you from this room. Yeah, they're not bad. No one's ever back here anyway. So No, they won't know until like 2030. So <laughs> by, by then we'll... When Louis Erickson's contract expires. <laughs> We'll be on podcast episode 700 by then, so I'm assuming Jamie won't listen to this anyway. All right. Anything else? No. Just hoping that we get those two guests on next week. Hopefully our technical difficulties are solved and we can have Josh Joey and Mark Antoine go down on to talk about very interesting teams, in my opinion. Obviously, the Penguins won the Cup, but Montreal's a fascinating team with what's happening up there. What, uh, what happens now as far as our guest schedule? Does this just push everything back? A week, like, are we still going to have them on as our next two guests? Or? I hope so. Okay. I, I can't answer that question. <laughs> right now they're working on equipment in the other room. <laughs> this should be a, a new segment on the podcast. Questions Craig can't answer that Luke's going to ask him anyway. A lot of those. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll come up with a few. That, that'll be the, uh, the Lipinski list for next week. <laughs> All right. For Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.